Well, this morning I want to talk about something that um, we all face, and we face it on a regular basis, maybe daily. It's something we really don't talk a lot about, and that's anxiety. And anxiety, first of all, it's normal, so relax, okay? And I know some of you are probably say, well, I don't get stressed, I don't have anxiety. What I was going to do is ask you to please stand up and share a verse with all of us, just at random, but thought, no, just to prove my point that I could make you anxious. <laughs> but it's a normal reaction we have to a stressful situation. And actually, it can be very beneficial. You know, a little anxiety is what you need, like especially if you're going to break your car, right, before you actually hit something, avoid the accident. It can help you study well for a test. Uh, it could prepare you for that job interview. So, good. Anxiety. Unfortunately, this morning, we're not talking about that. We are going to focus on the, the negative aspects of anxiety. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything. There you have it. That's all you got to do. Isn't that easy? Yeah. Just put that into practice. The word uh, anxious that Paul uses here um, in Philippians 4, 6 actually means to be pulled apart. Can you feel that? To be uh, unhinged, paralyzed, incapacitated. This is that unhealthy concern or worry that causes our minds to go into overdrive and as we constantly focus on what could happen. When we're anxious, we can become ultra-sensitive, fearful, protective, and defensive. Never experienced that problem. WebMD says this. <laughs> Anxiety doesn't discriminate. Doesn't discriminate by age, gender, or race. 40 million adults actually suffer from anxiety disorder in, in this country. Under high anxiety, you get that surge of adrenaline, stress hormones that puts your body into high alert. It's a good thing, right? Either fight or flight. You're going to do one or the other. But these physical reactions in your body can lead to dizziness, increased heartbeat, Headaches, fatigue, muscle ache, nausea, digestive issues, short-term memory. It's getting better. <laughs> memory loss, coronary artery disease, and ultimately a heart attack. Untreated excessive worrying can lead to depression and suicidal thoughts. Anxiety can kill you. Not to mention that worrying is one of the most frustrating things in all of life. At least it is for me. Countless minutes, let's make that hours, sleepless nights fixated on what could be, what would happen if, or how. Because there's only one way. How it should be fixed. Over and over again, it plays. 
Can you identify with this? On Good Friday, we laid our burdens down at the foot of the cross. On Easter Sunday, we celebrated the resurrected, Christ, uh, resurrected life in Christ. And on Monday morning, we go back and we pick up all those same burdens again and carry them. Proverbs 3, uh, 12, 25 says this, an anxious heart weighs a man down. The kind word cheers him up. You just feel the weight of that anxious heart. It is like putting on a 60-pound pack. I mean, it just is hard, hard to carry. Medical professionals say there is a remedy a remedy for our anxiety. It's a healthy diet, of course. Exercise, sleep, sleep well. Could require medication and, uh, of course, learning good coping mechanisms. I mean, they're all good. Those are all really important things, and they're really helpful. And I really believe we should seriously consider each one of those uh, as we face anxiety in our lives. But this morning, as, as Christians, as believers, as Christ followers, is there something more than diet and exercise? Is there something more that we can do to stop the constant looping? Right? It's the song that plays over and over in your head, right? And you just wish you could turn it off, and you can't. Looping. You know, singing, don't worry, be happy is not helpful. It's not. But is there help? Is there hope? Is there hope for change? Yes. Yes. Yes, there is. And before we look at God's remedy for anxiety, I just want to look at the context for just a minute. The context of this, of this passage we're looking at today in, in Philippians 4. Um, the Apostle Paul, who's the author uh, of this little letter. He's writing to the Philippian church. He realized he's imprisoned. We call this a prison epistle because he's writing this from prison. He was in prison for his faith. And then in that letter, he's going to describe all of his troubles, his quote-unquote sorrow upon sorrow. He's going to mention his extreme suffering and how he even had to face death. This is, this is the author of the letter. He's the one saying this to the church in Philippi and saying it to us this morning. Paul is writing to a group of people who are also suffering all kinds of trials and persecution. So it's very real for them. He's just pulling this idea out of nowhere, out of context. That's the context. And then, if we go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, he says this, I entreat Aodia and I entreat Sinche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companions, help these women, these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. So Paul begins this chapter talking about addressing this dispute. There's a dispute between these two women. There's disunity between these two sisters in Christ. 
He says, these are my co-workers, my co-laborers. They're, they're partners with me in the gospel. And this conflict that these, these two ladies have, well, this is affecting the whole church. This isn't a harsh rebuke. Paul is asking, he's actually imploring those who know and love these two women, would you just please help them? Do whatever it takes. Help them resolve their differences. Of course, for their sake, for their relationship, but for the sake of the church, and ultimately for the sake of the gospel. So in this context, and all that Paul is going through, all the church is going through, and this real-life situation of church conflict, when all the stuff is hitting the fan, Paul says in this next verse, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Are you kidding me? Paul, you're out of touch with reality. You know what's going on? There's this like super big problem in our church. Things are really going bad. These like leaders are fighting. What are we supposed to do? And he says, I want you to rejoice. That's it. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And I don't want you just to rejoice. I want you to do it always. Now, this isn't like choosing to think happy thoughts. He's exhorting them to find their joy. I want you to find your joy, your peace, your contentment in the conviction that you are secure in Christ, that he is your all and all. Believe it with all your heart that he's actually in control. He is sovereignly in control of all things, and you can look to him first. And in him, you can find your joy. Joy isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. So before you try to resolve problems, before you go down the worry road, he says, just stop and rejoice. And who he is and who you are in him. Listen to these couple of verses from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Though you have not seen him, you haven't seen God, you haven't seen Jesus, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. It's inexpressible. Amen. When you find that, when it guides and leads your heart, it's just like, it's good. This is so good. He says, start there. Start there. And he, says, and he goes on to say in verse 5, and then let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This word for, you know, being reasonable actually is, is gentleness in the NIV, and I think it really captures it better. The idea is to be considerate, to put up with the faults of others. He says, pour out mercy and grace on people. So start with rejoicing the Lord, and then treat your brothers and sisters with grace and mercy. Let's just do that when things are going bad. So when provoked, this idea of being considerate means don't, don't seek revenge. This isn't payback. This isn't vengeance. Be open, be trusting, be accommodating, and watch how that diffuses the conflict. 
Rejoice in the Lord. Be gentle. And then he says, and, and remember, the Lord is at hand. Or literally, the Lord is near. He's near. He's with you. He's in you by his Holy Spirit. But here, I think he's, he's focusing in on he's coming again. And we sang about that, didn't we? The Lord is coming again. So in whatever you're dealing with and all your anxiety and your stress and your worry, can you put that in the context of he's coming again? Is your problem so huge compared to he's coming again in power and glory? And he has this amazing plan for the church, for his kingdom, and you're part of that? Well, help me. Help me to get the bird's eye view on this and keep it in perspective. I mean, we just got a conflict in the church. There's a problem. And Paul says, I got the answer. Rejoice. <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord. And then treat each other with grace and mercy. And then remember, he's coming back. He really does have things in control. He knows what he's doing. And then we come to our verse. In verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Or really, literally, don't, don't fret. Don't worry. Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. Listen as I read a few verses here, starting verse 25, Matthew 6. Therefore, this is Jesus talking. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? That one's sinking. And why are you anxious about clothing? He says, consider the field, how they grow. They neither toil, they don't spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, well, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows you need them all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do not be anxious about anything. And I think at this point it's helpful, at least for me, to, uh, to ask ourselves, you know, what's the source of our anxiety or our worry? One thing to say, well, I'm, I'm anxious, I'm a little stressed over something, or... 
really, but what is it? You know, what's, what's causing this crazy reaction in our mind and in our body? Well, you could look at all different things. I kind of broke it into three areas. First one is sin. Are we stressed because of our own selfish desires? Greed, pride, maybe jealousy. In the parable of the sower, on there real quick, in, in Mark. Remember the parable of the sower? You know, the, the sower's throwing out the, the seed, which is, uh, means the, you know, the word of God being sown in, the, in people's lives. In verse 18, he ends up on the third soil, and he says this, and others, the seeds, are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And I ask myself, are the worries, are they, do they have to do with self-pleasing pursuits? And are those making the word of God unfruitful in my life? So it's a good place to start, to say, Lord, show me. This worry that I am carrying, self-inflicted. Is it really because I'm, I'm doing this to myself? Secondly, and a lot comes from this, of course, is suffering. I mean, this is real. These are trials of life. This is sickness. This is injury. This is loss of the job. The myriad of relational struggles like conflict and betrayal and abuse and abandonment, divorce, ultimately death. It brings a lot of anxiety into our lives. You can't deny that. Of course it does. And the third one is, is a spiritual battle. Like the Apostle Paul, are we burdened with building the kingdom of God? Are we carrying that weight because we so want our family and, and friends to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior? That's a burden. That could cause us to worry. And just the, the burden of helping our brothers and sisters grow in Christ. Paul dealt with this. He dealt with that kind of anxiety in his concern, his burden for the church and the growth of brothers and sisters. So look at the source. Show me, Lord. What's the source of my anxiety? Where, where's it coming from? Is it sin? Is it really due to suffering? Is it a spiritual battle? And we all deal with anxiety. We all deal with it, and it's helpful to understand the source. But no matter what, no matter what is adding to the weight of our worry, biblical remedy is the same. It doesn't change. Do this first. Just do this first. Do not go to go. Don't collect $200, nothing, right? Do this first when you face your anxiety or your worry. We'll go back now and read all of verse 6, not just the first part. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. What's the first thing we have to do is, is pray. Do not raise your hand. You always think of that first whenever you're facing worry or anxiety in your life. Just going to pray right now. Hope you do. I'll have to confess, I don't always do that. He said, pray. Go before the throne of grace and have a conversation with your Savior and Lord. Talk to him about what is burdening your heart. Share with him just like you would share with your best friend. I mean, he is, right? When you pray, you are admitting to him that I, I need you, God. I am in this moment dependent upon you. I need you to take this away. I need you to give me peace that only you can give. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for discernment. Ask him for the right course of action. If there is one, maybe there isn't. Just wait. Maybe he's speaking to you. Just wait. But the first thing is prayer. And he goes on and Prayer and supplication. Oh, that's very interesting. He, he divides those. He separates those because the first one is just getting a conversation. Just talk to him. He really wants to hear from you. He really wants to have you engage with him. But supplication means something very specific. It's a specific request. There it means you have to lay it all out on the table. This is full disclosure. You talk to him like he really doesn't know. Of course, he does. But he really wants to hear the details. This is not a prayer to bless the food or for traveling mercies. Uh-uh. This is, again, full disclosure, full confession, all the dirty details of my anxiety, be it financial, be it relational, be it physical, be it mental. That's supplication. And it's often very emotional. For those of you who are familiar with the Psalms, it's David crying out, right? Lord, where are you? Help me. There's pleading here. Lord, here I am. Here it is. Help me. Lord, here I am. Here it is. Whatever it is that's causing you such worry and anxiety, and Lord, help me. Have mercy. Then he says, this is so key. Come before me. Say it all, but do it with thanksgiving in your heart. This attitude of gratitude is so key. And having the anxiety relieved in our life. Somebody said a thankful spirit crowds out selfish pride. It checks fear, and it diffuses anger. Come with thanksgiving. Lord, I am coming before you. I'm coming before you, my loving Father, remembering your faithfulness, your goodness to me. I know what you did yesterday. I believe that you can do the same thing again today. I trust you. I trust you that much that if you did that then, were you faithful then, would you not be faithful now? I trust you to handle with care what I am committing to you. I trust that you are good 
and that you have my best in mind. That's right. I really do. Deal with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It encourages us in all our ways, right, to acknowledge the Lord, to trust him, and not to depend on our own understanding. <laughs> but as we commit it to him, he's going to lead us to straight paths. I willingly surrender to your plan, Lord. Not my will be done, but yours be done. Lord Jesus, thank you. You got this. As a pilot, when we're, um, and I, had, I did flight instructing for, for quite a few years, one of the things we have to teach a student is to be aware of what a stall is in the airplane. And, a, and potentially from that is a spin. Nathan, you've done these. Aren't they fun? Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm not talking about the engine stall. I'm talking about the wing stalling. What that means is it, could, it ceases to create lift. It stops flying. So you have to get to a certain angle, attitude, where the wing stops flying and the nose drops. That's called a stall. Well, if you kick the rudder in, in that attitude, then bam, she rolls over to one side, left or right. And then you spin. Oh, wow. And you're looking down at the ground and the airplane's whipping around. You're looking down. So how to get out of that, if you want to get out in a hurry, right, you hit the opposite rudder, and you do something that doesn't make sense to you. It's really key. You don't go by logic, because you have to push the wheel or the stick forward to get out of the spin. You have to get the wing flying again, even if your nose is pointed towards the ground. And if you can't handle that, just let go. Seriously, let go. Put your hands up on the control pedal. It will come out of the spin. So let go. You have a death grip on your anxiety, on your worry. It's going to kill you. And God is saying, just let go. You're going to come out of the spin. Would you trust me? Trust me. Do not be anxious for anything. The way to be anxious about nothing is to pray about everything. It's simple, but it's so true. The way to be anxious about nothing is to pray about everything. Okay, pick up in our text again. Paul goes on to say, um, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, here it comes, this is good, will surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this isn't just the absence of, that's what we want, right? Just take the stress away. No, this isn't just the absence of stress at or anxiety. This isn't some like Pollyanna mindset of denial. Oh, we, as we pray, as we pray, God does this great exchange. There's a switch from anxiety, worry, and fear. And it's displaced by the peace and contentment that's only found in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? 
This is what he's promising us. If you will come to me and you lay it all before me with that attitude of rejoicing, then I just want, it's going gonna, it's gonna to switch for you. Give it time. Watch how I do this. And this piece, he said, is beyond human explanation. It's beyond human understanding. This piece is for you. This piece is for me. This piece is for ch- the church. This was the piece for Ayodhya and Sinje. And back in verse 2, this is what they needed. This is what I want for them. This is what I want for you. I want this peace, the peace of God, that will guard your heart and your mind. Literally, he's saying it's a, it's a sentry. It's a garrison, a military garrison, a troop that have surrounded your heart and your mind. The enemy cannot infiltrate. It can't get to you. It can't mess with your head anymore. As you stay in prayer and walk with me, you are protected. The God of peace will not allow the enemy to hurt you. He is your fortress. He is your defender. That's good news. So what do many people do when they are confronted with stress or anxiety? Unfortunately, they turn to unhealthy habits, right? Binging on movies, video games, or food. Many look for stress relief with alcohol, with drugs, pornography. So we need to really be honest and ask ourselves. I know you just need to chill out after a hard day. Get a stressful day. I don't pray about that. I just need to yeah, put on my favorite movie or music, whatever. And it's not necessarily wrong. Don't take that wrong. Oh, Pastor said I can't watch a movie. No, say that. You know what I'm saying? Be honest. Is what I'm doing really helping to alleviate the pain that I feel? Is it just some temporary thing or is it really long-term solution? Is what I'm doing filling my life with peace and joy? There you go. Ask yourself that. Okay to relax. I'm not saying that. No, it's okay to find these things that help you, but really in the end, is it really giving you that peace and that joy that you so desire? And then he goes in verse 8, and he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, then think on these things. So for you, like me, that I want to pray, but I need to do something at the same time, God says, oh, I got the answer for you. <laughs> yes, talk to me, pray, but I want you to do this. When you're facing anxiety and worry, I want you to think on these things. And we're not going to spend a lot of time. I'm going to run through them really, really quickly. But I want you to just take a minute. I want to th- are you thinking about things that are true? Not true defined by the culture. Not even true as you have determined it in your mind, but true to, to the word of God, his absolute truth. And to the person of Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Right? That's true. Honorable. Honorable means to focus on things that are noble or dignified. They're worthy of, they're worthy of respect. Is, is that what your focus is? 
on things that are honorable. How about just, which really means right, right according to God's justice. These things have nothing to do with evil or sin. It's just naturally good. It's real. It's genuine. Then he goes on to say, how about anything that's lovely? This would be pleasing or agreeable to God. It's just so beautiful we could delight in it. It's like his creation, right? When you get out in his creation and you can look at a sunset and just go, oh, that's so makes me, it just brings peace into my life, right? Amen. He says, yeah, it's, it's, it's lovely. And he goes on to say, how about commendable, admirable? It has God's stamp of approval on it. It's his four-star rating. No room for grumbling, no room for complaining when you're looking and focusing on things that are, that are commendable. And he says, if there is any excellent, or anything, any excellent thing, which means literally, is it morally upright? Is it of good character? So there again, I have to ask myself, is my movie, my music, my mode of entertainment, or whatever it is, does that qualify as excellent? I'm, going, I'm dealing with all the stress and anxiety. Is, are those things helping me again to direct me, direct my mind, in a, put it in a place that will just relieve me? Free me from my worries and my cares. He said, if it's worthy of praise, if it's worthy of praise, things that are commendable by God that would be pleasing to him, worthy to praise. He says, think on these things. Let these thoughts transform your mind and then just invite the peace, that shalom of God in. It's work. It's intentional. But you know it's the right thing to do. Because what you're thinking of <laughs> when you're looping, <laughs> when you're spinning, is not helpful. In your mind, you think if I just think about it enough, it's going to like go away. But it doesn't. Start going crazy. Come to me. Talk to me about it. Think on these things. Verse 9. And then Paul says, you know, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This isn't pride or, or arrogance on the part of Paul. You know, he, he wants to say, look, I'm not just throwing out this list of things to think about, or, or to talk about, or to preach about. He's saying, um, go ahead, use my life as an example. Again, not a life that's perfect or without fault, but I'm just, I'm, I'm somebody who's trying at least to put what I know into practice. That's it. Because you do as you think. You do as you think. Practice does bear good fruit. I know, but for those of you who are accomplished pianists or whatever else, maybe in your sport that you uh, excel at, you know that. You know you have to practice to be good. Practice does bear good fruit. 
Anxiety will decrease. Peace will increase in your life as you turn it over to him in prayer and as you focus your intention on these things. Practice these things, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You will know his peace. You know, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your source of worry is. I did not plan this message around you. But Jesus, he knows exactly what you're doing. And you need to turn to him. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you don't know him as your personal Savior and Lord, he's inviting you into that relationship this morning. We sang about his death on the cross. We sang about his resurrected life, resurrection, that he paid for your sin. He's done that all so that you could have life, life eternal, and a life, abundant life with him. And he's inviting you this morning to take that step, would you just believe? I know you don't understand it all, but by faith, would you take that step to receive me? To come into that relationship with Jesus as Savior and Lord. So turn to him. And then you who, who know Jesus as your Savior, your Lord, you too, turn to him. Turn all that worry all that anxiety, turn it over to him this morning. As we close, I just, uh, I want us to just take a couple minutes. Think about these things. I want you to listen. Listen carefully to this song. And just listen for what the Lord may be saying to your heart this morning. Remember that you can always take it to the Lord in prayer.